This is Communio Sanctorum, the history of the Christian Church, Season 2. This is Episode 9 and the ongoing epic tale of Raban Sama. Finally, Sama has arrived in Europe. After two months aboard ship, his party arrives in Naples, which is unusual because the trip from Constantinople ought to have taken less than a month. Here again, it's Sama's account that seems to be lacking detail. Being a commercial vessel, most likely they'd use the route to further their business, so had put into port along the way for days at a time. Sama took some time in Naples to recover from the lengthy voyage before setting out for Rome. While there, staying in a mansion provided by the ruling family of Anjou, Sama witnessed from the roof the Battle of the Counts on June 23rd in the Bay of Naples. This was part of the larger War of the Sicilian Vespers between the houses of Aragon and Anjou. Sama says that the Anjou lost about 12,000 men in the battle. What surprised him was the care that was given by both sides to avoid harming non-combatants. Sama was familiar with the Mongol method of war and assumed that there would be no distinction between civilians and soldiers in battle. He was deeply impressed by the caution that was exercised in the fighting to avoid civilian casualties. Naples had proven to be unsafe due to the conflict, and so Sama decided that it was best to leave, even before having a chance to visit the city's many religious sites. An unusual move for him since that was his personal primary motivation. His unease may have been due to the sketchy political situation that he sensed taking place around him. Better to get while the getting was still good and so they packed and headed for Rome. The trip across Italy was yet another surprise for the Chinese monk. There was simply little landscape without some kind of settlement. Whether that was a solitary farm, hamlet, village, town, or city, the road led across a land that was, to Sama's thinking, filled with people. That was in sharp contrast with the territory that he'd spent the previous decade in. It was possible to travel for days and not see another soul nor evidence of settlement in Central Asia. The path that he took now went up and down hills, but after the towering peaks that he'd traversed earlier in his pilgrimage, they seemed little more than bumps in the road. As he approached Rome, he rehearsed his speech to the Pope, asking for him to call a crusade of Europe's monarchs against the Muslim Mamluks that would coincide with a Mongol attack from the east. But word was carried to Sama that Pope Honorius IV had died in early April. Instead of being disheartened, Sama increased his pace, hoping to be among the first to speak to the new Pope. But it was not to be. The twelve cardinals charged with the task of selecting the new Pope couldn't reach a decision, largely because several of them wanted to wear Peter's ring. Arriving in the city, he sent word to the cardinals of his presence, requesting an audience. Surprisingly, they invited him into that sacred place where the Pope was chosen, the papal palace next to the church of Santa Sabina. No one else was allowed into their deliberations but their closest assistant. So this was an uncommon honor. Even so, Sama was briefed on proper etiquette when meeting the cardinals. He made a good impression and proved a welcome distraction from the grinding machinations of the would-be popes. Their task proved so stressful that half of the cardinals would die before the end of that summer. After initial introductions and realizing how far the Rabban had traveled, the cardinals expressed their dismay and concern for his health. 
They assumed that it would take weeks for him to recover his strength and urged him to rest. But he assured them that his stay in Naples had been sufficient and that he had pressing, indeed supremely urgent matters to share with the Pope. In this way, he hoped to impress on them the need to be quick and to find Honorius's replacement. But they would not be hurried. They insisted that he get more rest and pondered what his arrival at an embassy might mean for the future of Europe and the church. How might Sama's mission affect who they selected as the next pope? Should they pick someone who'd be amenable to his request for an alliance with the Ilkhans, or someone who would refuse? They decided that it was best to avoid political discussions with the Raban altogether. A safer subject, and one of genuine interest to them, was Sama's faith. How was the Church of the East now different from the Roman Church? The rift that had separated East and West had occurred all the way back in the 5th century. It was 800 years later. How had the two expressions of the Christian faith diverged, they wondered. And how had Christianity reached all the way to the Far East so that a monk would embark on a seemingly impossible pilgrimage as Sama had? In his account, Sama admits some frustration with the cardinal's refusal to let him pursue his political mission. But when it was clear that they would not entertain his embassy along those lines, he warmed to the task of explaining his beliefs and the history of the Nestorian church. Sama explained that the headquarters of his church was in Baghdad and that he was the patriarch of the Church of the East's official representative to the court of the famous Kublai Khan. The cardinals were eager to hear how Christianity had reached all the way to China. Of chief concern to them was who'd brought them the gospel. Sama spoke of the Apostle Thomas, who carried the message of Christ to Mesopotamia, Persia, and then all the way to India. Thaddeus and Mari also played a role in planting the churches in the East. These were all names that the cardinals were familiar with and settled any concerns that they had that the Nestorian church rested on an apostolic foundation. Sama told the cardinals of the extensive missionary activity of the Nestorian church. They'd planted churches among the Mongols, the Turks, and the Chinese. Their outreach to the children of the Mongol elite had proven especially effective. Then he brought the conversation back round to his embassy. Christianity was favored in the Mongol realm of Persia. In fact, the Ilkhan leader Argun was a good friend and supporter of the Nestorian Catholicus Maryabalaha. Like the Europeans, Argun wanted to dislodge the Mamluks from the Middle East. So, hey, how about an alliance? The cardinals retreated to safer ground. They couldn't agree to anything without a pope, they said. Besides, the previous pope, Honorius IV, had already tried to rally support for a campaign against the Mamluks, but European leaders weren't interested. So the cardinals once more shifted the conversation back to theological issues. They wanted to know how closely the Nestorian church aligned with Catholic doctrine. Sama said that, well, no envoy from the Pope or representative from the Vatican had come east with those doctrines. What the Nestorians believed was drawn from the apostles and the fathers that he'd already mentioned. The cardinals asked him for a rundown of Nestorian theology. Now, this was a critical moment for Sama. He needed to keep the door open with these cardinals, but he was aware of some differences between Nestorian and Catholic doctrine, especially in regard to the nature of Christ. Consider for a moment how monumental this task was for Sama. He has to explain the complexities of theology 
specifically the intricacies of the Trinity in Persian, which would then be translated into Latin. The cardinals would listen, formulate questions for clarification, speak them in Latin, which was then translated into Persian, and passed along to Sama. <laughs> for goodness sake, it's difficult enough explaining the Trinity to someone in your own tongue. Sama managed to describe the Nestorian belief in the nature of Christ in such a way that the cardinals took no offense. Next, they queried his beliefs about the Holy Spirit. He engaged them in a back-and-forth Socratic dialogue that not only satisfied their concerns about his doctrine, but greatly impressed them with his erudition. In fact, Raban Sama's replies, included in his account of the meeting, did convey ideas that the cardinals would have found heretical. But it seems they wanted to avoid controversy as much as he did. Realizing that further discussion with its parsing of details would only increase the chance of running afoul of their favor, Sama indicated that he thought his explanation of Nathorian theology was sufficient. He realized that the lack of a head for the Catholic Church was a hindrance to his mission, and so he asked the cardinals to appoint him someone who could take him round the religious sites to be seen in Rome. They assigned him several monks to escort him on a tour of the Eternal City's churches and monasteries. The first and most impressive site that he was shown was the old Basilica of St. Peter in the Vatican. Of course, what he saw is not the St. Peter's of today. That wasn't built until the 16th and 17th centuries. Still, the church of his time was massively larger than anything that he'd seen beside the Hagia Sophia in Constantinople. He wrote of St. Peter's, quote, The extent of that temple and its splendors cannot be described, unquote. He was shown the 180 columns erected by Constantine, the altar from which only the Pope could serve Mass, Peter's chair, and Peter's tomb, in which a gold sarcophagus was placed inside a bronze coffin topped by a solid gold cross weighing 150 pounds. Sama was specially impressed by a relic purported to bear the image of Christ. Another feature in the church that he enthused over was a throne on which popes crowned the Holy Roman Emperors. He reports that his guides told him that the Pope picked up the royal crown from the floor with their feet, transferred it to their hands, and then placed it on the ruler's head, and in this way showed the supremacy of the church over the state, that the secular power was under religious authority. Now, either Sama misunderstood or he was misinformed, because that wasn't the procedure. After being crowned, the emperor would kneel and kiss the Pope's feet. But that was a practice that was already going out of use by Sama's time. Hostility between popes and monarchs was already growing. After seeing St. Peter's Basilica, Sama was shown several other sites, all of major significance to the faith in Rome. While the architecture and the furnishings of these churches and shrines is remarkable, Sama's account gives little attention to that aspect of them. He was far more interested in the hundreds of relics that he was shown. Body parts, clothing, instruments, items tied to the biblical stories of the saints were his especial fascination. It's clear that Sama attached deep spiritual significance to these relics, giving them a special place as a means of communicating grace to his soul. Well, having had his fill of the religious dimensions of Rome and realizing that the absence of a pope was stalling his mission, he decided to carry out the next phase of his task, visiting the rulers of Western Europe. And that is the subject of our next episode. Hey, 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 hey.